Hello, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we are very honored and excited to have today's guest with us. She's a real live Muppet performer. Guest, please tell the folks at home who you are. I am semi-employed actress Stephanie DeBruzzo. <laughs> How are you? Yes. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm sure anyone who's listening to a Muppet podcast uh, knows who Stephanie is, but um, of course she's played a zillion Muppets on Sesame Street, including Prairie Dawn, Curly Bear, and the woefully short-lived Elizabeth. Oh, thanks for liking Elizabeth. I loved I, Elizabeth. I loved her too. <laughs> she should have been around no one remembers me, Brian. How come I'm dead? <laughs> oh, 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 that I makes it so Elizabeth. much worse. Um, no, and, you know, a dead Muppet Society. It's yes, a, yeah, it's yes, a I have heard of this. Prestigious club, and I'm in yeah. it now with my little parochial school dress Aww. and my red pigtails. They're against gingers. That's what it is. Oh no! <laughs> no but they're... is but is but is little Marie Sparkles with her? Is is and the, the irony question. is I have also played little Marie Sparkles. Uh, yes. when, wow! When Alice Deneen left Sesame Street. I wound up playing Little Murray Sparkles, who lasted longer than Elizabeth did. Yeah, that's not fair. And then went, well, it's just a little, it's just a little gnaw. It's just a little nibble at my ego. Whenever, <laughs> right. well, and then whenever there's a bunch of random cats in a pile, everyone's like, hey, you got to, come on, Stephanie, you got to take Little Murray Sparkles. Mm. And I do, because I've grown, I, now I think, you know, I've, I've, I've put on that cat quite a bit. I'm sure. Sure. Now, sure. It, now it's just like, oh, yeah. And 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 that cat was built just for the little Murray spark the 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 episode that um little Murray it was Elizabeth's cat Sparkles and then Baby Bear and Telly found the cat and named it Little Murray and then oh, it, I, Little I, Murray I Sparkles that was a brand new cat that okay. was just Some, for that episode somehow I never questioned the name I just thought that was a funny name for oh, a cat you don't know the origin story no, I guess I have not seen that one. <laughs> Elizabeth, it was a script written for Elizabeth. It was one of the first scripts written where it wasn't just like Elizabeth subbing in for an anything Muppet. Right. This is a tangent like you wouldn't believe. That's what we do here. It's a whole well, other character group. And so, uh, we, so we, yeah. We, we can pour one out for Lulu after this too, if you want. Oh, Lulu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Elizabeth had a cat named Sparkles and she loved the cat Sparkles and the Sparkles got lost. And then Elizabeth's looking for sparkles, and and then Telly and Baby Bear find uh, this cat, and they name him Little Murray. Okay. And Joey Mazzarino wrote the script. I was just going to say, because he seemed to have a thing for the name Murray. Murray. He definitely has a thing for the name Murray. So that was one of the first instances of uh, of Murray. That was This was 99? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I tell you that's what. the origin story of Little Murray Sparkles. Yeah. Then, <laughs> Thank you so much. Finds the cat, <laughs> and then they're like, "Hey, let's name it Little Murray Sparkles." And so, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, anything I can find of of Elizabeth and Little Murray Sparkles, uh, I'll, I'll put a link oh. in the show notes. God. Um, wow. Yeah. Hey, that's uh, the half your audience wasn't even born that episode. <laughs> <laughs> shot oh boy well um i was gonna say stephanie's other credits include the webulous world of dr seuss julie's green room and a bunch of other non-strictly muppet related projects like puzzle place ubi and of course the broadway musical avenue q for which she was nominated for a tony so thank I you for being here tony. thank you for being here <laughs> of course 
<laughs> and the reason you're here is to talk about minutes 13 and 14 of The Muppets Take Manhattan, in which the song You Can't Take No for an Answer continues as the Muppets continue to unsuccessfully pitch their show to producers. So Whew. I think um, we can start with the song itself, which we heard just a little bit of last week, but this is where we get the majority of it. So, you know, it's another Muppet movie. It's nice to get another song with a vocal by Dr. Teeth, who sang Can You Picture That in the Muppet movie and Nightlife and the Great Muppet Caper. Um, what do you guys think of this one? The song is fun. Uh, I want to know where Dr. Teeth found the ladies. Well, kick-ass vocals on there. Right. That's the thing is that this always felt to me like it's from Dr. Teeth's solo album or something, <laughs> right? Like, like, yeah. w- like, why isn't the Electric Mayhem singing singing backup? You know, or yeah. he he was down in a club at night while the other Muppets were sleeping in the lockers. He was somewhere <laughs> else gigging with these ladies. Yeah, well, he was starting like to just think like hey i better find another another gig because these these muppets aren't uh aren't gonna keep me afloat that's true i'm gonna sing this song that they shouldn't take no for an answer but you know what i'm gonna find myself a lifeboat and i'm gonna i I, i'm gonna find uh, another another group to gig with down in the village you know you can't blame him you definitely can't blame them. Um, yeah, you know, you're right. It, it, it's a little bit of a departure with those backup singers. And they they don't sound really like Muppet backup singers. Somehow. No, they, they, they sound like hardcore. human beings. They are hardcore. Those are those are uh, either former uh, Ikeettes or, uh, or you know, any any, uh, any girl group. Any back- yeah, I, They're so good. I always oh, yeah. picture um, like when Ray Charles used to do Diet Pepsi commercials. Yes. His backup singers in those that's ads, nice. that's what I picture when I hear this song. Very much so. You got the right one, baby. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, right. So maybe more of a Dr. Teeth song than an Electric Mayhem song. Um, <clears throat> so uh, any other... Sax solo at the end. Yes, that's yeah. true. We, but, we see one he... other member of the, the Electric Mayhem playing. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like how, like... For example, after the band broke up, Rick Danko puts out a solo album. He brings Garth Hudson in to play organ. You know, maybe it's like that. His old buddy Zoot is just the best sax player that he knows. Right, or right. Or maybe the song ended and Zoot is just playing in the locker. Yeah, so he's... It's he two is, separate songs joined together. He just happens to be playing a song. He, he is wailing out his pain because That's Dr. Right. Teeth left them. That's right. right. Lumbar is all out of joint from sleeping. There music. it is. We we just figured out all this uh, stuff that's happening off, yeah. off screen, off off the frame. But it's a great. I mean, it's a great song. Like musically, it is a great song. It's a fun song. It's not dated. I don't feel like it's you know. There's a little bit of synth to it. It doesn't sound 1984. I don't think it does. No, and we. Um... When we did Nightlife and uh, Great Muppet Caper, we debated yeah. whether that, I think, was maybe sort of dated or whether it, you know, whether it, it worked as a a rock hmm. song. But yeah, this one might be a little more timeless sounding than that. A little bit. Well, I guess I guess I think of 1984 as being very synth heavy. And that's I don't true. recall hearing a lot of synth on this, but right, then it, it could be wrong. There are no guitars in this one. No guitar, no drum machine. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very good song for a montage. Either way. Yeah, and I think that's a it's a great montage for a montage. But my 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 and the reason I picked these two minutes and I I, I shared this with Ryan and I hope he shared it with Anthony, um, 
it's 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 so ridiculously not anything resembling real life. And I right. sure that makes sense. Yeah, and one of my issues with um movies about theater no one really auditions on a theater stage. Like, you know, the opening montage of Tootsie where Dustin Hoffman is on on stage auditioning for all the, you know, in real life that and and, and first I thought, oh, well maybe in the early 80s that's how, you know, they did it. They were on a stage. <laughs> but no, you watch the um if you've seen the documentary, uh, the best worst thing that ever could have happened about Merrily We Roll Along. It's oh, a yeah. great documentary. Even if you don't know the the show, it's a great documentary. Which, which has were... another connection to this movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it has, a, it was, has another connection to this scene, in fact. Exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, Directed we'll, we'll by um, I Lonnie Price. I want to get his name right. Yes, Lonnie yes, Price. That's right. Who appears in yeah. this movie, in this scene, yeah. yes. In this scene, yes, as Ronnie Crawford. Um, but anyway, yeah, in that documentary, they're auditioning in a in a rehearsal room. Right. And, sure. and even in the movie Every Little Step, which is the documentary about um, the revival of Chorus Line, they start auditioning in uh, rehearsal rooms. And then eventually when it comes down to to um, Natasha Tiaz and Charlotte Dumbois, um, it, it they go to a stage, they go to a Broadway stage. But th- I think that's for the documentary. That's for the filmic element of it. Sure, you know, right. that when. But th- that's you know, I, I always have a little like you're 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 telling kids in Iowa how theater life in New York is, and you're <laughs> selling the wrong product. <laughs> you have you know, but and I know it's not very filmic to show them, and or you know, anyway. In yes. real life, if you're developing a musical, you're not just showing up at producers' doors and handing them a script. You're, you're, <laughs> right. At no point, even if at any point in this montage, Kermit took out a pencil and edited his piece at all. He never does a single rewrite. He never looks at the script. They never <laughs> workshop um, it. They never until they until they do a massive rewrite on opening night. On right fly, before they go on. Also. Okay, <laughs> Craig and I, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I'm married to Craig Shemin, the author of the Muppet Character Encyclopedia and president of the Jim Henson Legacy. Craig and I have often talked about like writing the review of Manhattan Melodies that came out the next day, because you know <laughs> that show got crap reviews. I mean, <laughs> that show is not yeah. a good show, because is that the whole show? Is that the first Music like the first number and ends with a wedding? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> where are you going from there? And then let's not even talk about the union issues of the Oh, the, adding the, all these actors at the last minute. And yeah, the just... costumers and having those costumes ready yeah. and then wearing your clothes off the street. The musicians union, like yeah. So anyway, uh <laughs> but that's 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 not part of these two minutes. But what I'm saying is in, in real life, and it would make it would make a terrible montage, of course, but they would be doing a, a reading. They would be doing staged readings and in industry readings and inviting people to come see, not just do look at me, here I am in a office. And I think that's probably based on the film Yankee Doodle Dandy, you know, where in the 1910s, George M. <laughs> M. Cohan is going to theater offices singing songs. And I think things were done very differently back then. But I think, you know, Muppets Take Manhattan is meant to be a fairy tale. Yeah, so and there's definitely an element of throwback to it. 
Absolutely. So if you're looking at it that way, okay, fine. But at no point is Kermit, you know, keep saying there's still something missing, but he never looks at the script again and works on it. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's know, true. He, he grows a mustache. He does all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he could be putting all that creative energy into editing a very needed, you know, very needed edits on his script. But no, he doesn't do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it. And uh, c- can you imagine? I mean, poor Jenny, you know, hey, we're going to put all these bears and chickens in the show. <laughs> oh, uh, OK. Wear this. Like, <laughs> not only does he never rewrite the script, um, that's not the solution to the show. Right. I don't necessarily think that makes it better. You don't think that adding a bunch of strangers that Kermit just met is going to make this a hit Broadway musical. When did they learn the lines? (laughs) Right. But that's, again, that's for the person who has those minutes. Um, But yeah, in, in, in real life, you would, or at least they would go to small shows and meet other actors and meet other directors. And I don't know, get it, put it on a small stage and see where it goes and get feedback and no instead i mean yeah you're not going to get um you know empty chairs in a in a rehearsal hall uh industry reading yeah. uh, punctuating punctuating rhythmically as much as a series of closed doors does so i get it. <laughs> right. but that's always the scene that just sort of like <laughs> what did you think would happen <laughs> Come on, Kermit. Well, you know, it is their first attempt at, at getting a Broadway show off the ground. So, But at some point, <laughs> do they never run into any other actors mm. or any other struggling artists in the business other than Jenny? Yeah, you would uh, think they would seek somebody out. Right. And say, hey, what are Because that's, I mean, now granted, the whole concept of networking is something that I don't love am not good at and maybe that's why you know the theater world is uh is um getting farther and farther away uh, in my memory but um but the notion of when you come to town you know go see especially in the early 80s there was so much off and off off broadway great stuff happening that was cheap sometimes mm. free that you could go to meet other people who were like-minded and say, Hey, I've got this show. You want to come hear some of it and see what you think? Give me some feedback. Like at no point, but then again, that wouldn't make a very good montage. Right. That's a good point. Actually, we should, before we get to that scene where they actually do the show, we should look up how much a Broadway ticket cost in 1984. Cause I'm sure it was like, like a lot less even with inflation. Definitely. And, even then you look at off and off off. I, we just watched, um, if you, if any of you haven't seen the uh, Howard Ashman documentary. Haven't seen it yet. I'm excited. It's so good. But basically talks about, you know, they started uh, the WPA theater in, uh, in New York. They just got this janky little space and mm. 99 seat theater that they built and were putting on things and things that did well and things that failed. And, and, um, that's what New York theater, especially at that time, was very much about, about the spirit of collaboration, um, getting other voices in the room, getting feedback from other uh, other other performers, especially. I mean, you could probably 
you could get a $5 ticket to an off, off Broadway show. I'm mm. sure. Yeah. Uh, it back in the day, you know, even now you can get cheap, you know, or, or if you're a student or you work as an usher, you can see things for free. Yeah. There are still like black box theaters <clears throat> where you can yeah. go see somebody's, you know, first show for like 10 bucks. And there are industry readings all the time. And those are always free. Um, and then, and then, you know, granted the now, uh, deceased New York musical theater festival and the fringe festival, I think the fringe might've existed back then. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I feel like, I, I don't know, but do you think Manhattan Melodies would be a good show for the fringe festival? I think (laughs) it would have benefited from a festival or workshop. Now, granted the Fringe and Nymph have their issues with you sign a contract and if a show is successful, you have to give them a certain percentage of, of whatever commercial rights happen oh, down yeah. the line. But uh, so maybe they weren't game for that. I don't know. <laughs> all, I, all I know is I think that the thing that and, and more as I get older, it really frustrates me that Kermit does not put in the work. <laughs> And of all the, all the, I think that's the only thing that strikes me as being off about the character. Yeah. He puts in the work on the Muppet show. He puts in the work in every other thing you see Kermit do, except for maybe Hey Cinderella when he was a little more passive, but that was a very different. (laughs) Right. Um, He's he's much, a much snarkier Kermit. But even, even snarky journalist Kermit on Sesame Street, even Muppet News Flash Kermit, he, he's there to do his job. Dang it. Hmm. And this is the only time where I feel like Kermit is, yes, he's active in pounding the, literally pounding the pavement. Right. But not so much in crafting, in in doing the necessary work to make the show better. Hmm. Especially because he says, well, it's not quite ready. Right. From the start. Yeah, maybe this is sort of an extension of the Muppet movie Kermit, where he's the guy who has a dream. Mm-hmm. But in that case, he actually was maybe a little bit more active in pursuing the dream and making sure that something happened. Well, and in this one, he's just sort of hoping that his dream comes true. Well, yeah, and even in Muppet movie, I think that that, because it's a, a story told as a um, as sort of a flashback, as it were. Right. All origin stories and flashback stories if someone is telling you they're gonna leave out stuff you know because you don't see kermit honing his craft when he gets uh, discovered by bernie the agent no so all he has to do is physically get to la and then he's magically given the rich and famous contract that's truly a fairy tale um muppets take manhattan feels like a different kind of you know, not quite Mickey and Judy. Let's even a Mickey and Judy. Let's build a barn and and make costumes and put on a show mentality. I've often seen it compared to those, though. And absolutely, but it, I think in this case, he wants someone to give him the barn and the costumes, <laughs> right? So, which, which again, like Muppet Show was very. We're doing, you know, we're putting on a show, and 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 we don't have much. We got st- we're putting it together with sticks and glue. Um, and Muppets Take Manhattan feels like, yeah, he's waiting for someone to give him something. Yeah, no, you're right. Because on the Muppet Show too, he's very active. He's putting the whole show together. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even realize until I really watched these two minutes, um, how long that montage is supposed to last. I never noticed what the dates were on that calendar. Yeah, me neither. 
Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I was the only one. I'm like, wait, the first date is June 15th and then it goes to September 4th. They're there all summer. Yeah. How many quarters did they have? Right. <laughs> it's been heavy. And how many different producers did they talk to or try to talk to? Well, right. And that's, uh, and again, look, I don't know. I mean, the way things are done now, I'm sure it's about who you know. It's about introductions. It's about people hearing your stuff. And yes, to some point extent, maybe it is a little like a whisper campaign. But even a whisper campaign, it's one thing for someone to know who you are. It's another, but they your work has to be good. Of course. And the thing that, that the other thing is, we're going into this only having heard one song from this show. Now yeah, we, we as the audience so far yeah. have only heard uh, together again, and then yeah, a little yeah. snippet of the "Look at me, here I am, yeah. right where I yeah. belong." But it it means it's very little. Yeah. There's no context, and even saying, "Well, this guy meets this girl, and they fall in love, and they go to the," you've been there, done that. And maybe you know, I think they're hanging the hat. They're hoping that we hang the hat on the on how much we love the characters. You know, we love Kermit. We want him to succeed. But in the back of my head, and again, I didn't think this when I first saw the movie. I didn't think this 20 years after I saw the movie. <laughs> now we're coming up on almost, oh, wow. It's 35, 36, 36 years old right now. Yeah. yeah. 36 years after seeing this movie. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's a lot of goodwill that you're gambling. because. Not everything's a gem. People, great, right. talented people write crap all the time. I, you know, I know people who've won awards, and I've seen their cut material. Mm. The sure, cut material yeah. from every show that I've ever been in. The cut material from shows that I've done readings of that have gone on to do other things that I haven't continued on with. There's always cut material. You know, your first draft is never your best. And uh, I mean, who, okay, yeah, maybe once in a while something is fully birthed, full on. I, I do, I do, and I will, because uh, I'm, I'm very proud of this. Um, I did an early reading, well, not early, I did the National uh, Academy of Musical Theater's uh, reading of Come From Away in 2013. Yeah. We did a 45-minute cool. cutting of it, and uh, the role that I played uh, eventually got absorbed into Jen Colella's character. But I will say this, um, in the 45 minute cutting that we did when I saw the show, uh, the book was remarkably similar. Like the book did not change much. David and Irene did such an amazing job with that book, but they had researched this show for years. Yeah. Um, They knew the people that they were writing about. They had met these real life figures. So I will say that, um, I think that's probably one of the exceptions. Uh, well, it's interesting in that context because that's a pretty short show for a Broadway musical. It's like an hour and a half. It is, and 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 but the and the other thing you have to remember is that Come From Away also they were trying to get regional productions. So the 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 the, the reading that I did, uh, Namped is really for it's a festival for regional theaters to come see these shows to try to court. Uh, these regional theaters all across the country hmm. mount these shows. So Come From Away was done, I think, in La Jolla and Seattle. It had been done at a school before the NAMT production. And then it had been done in a few places. And uh, I remember thinking the show is really good. But yeah, 
I'm sure it's going to be a great regional theater show. I don't know if anybody will have the the guts to bring it to Broadway. And I'm so grateful because really it's about money. I mean, it's about someone investing in the promise of being able to sell a 1500 seat theater. I remember when Avenue transferred from off Broadway to Broadway and so many people were asking, wow. So, so how was it decided that you got to go to Broadway? It was almost like they thought that there was some adjudicator panel, you know, like in the scene from Flashdance. You go to Broadway. <laughs> you don't. No, it's it's money. It's it's someone decide. You know the difference between off 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 Broadway is ninety nine seats or below. Off Broadway is a hundred to a four uh, to a hundred. Sorry, to four hundred and ninety nine seats. And Broadway is anything over five hundred seats. It's the number of seats. It's not the quality of the work. Great oh, no, quality shows are, but that's not. But see, that's not the mindset that most people have because they don't know. I certainly didn't know. I definitely didn't know in 1984 watching Muppets Take Manhattan. Right. So if you think go to Broadway is the only way that you can put on right. a show. No, he could have totally gone to La Mama or any any number of small off-off Broadway theaters and mounted it there and seen how it went. Or right, so there could be a version of the Muppets Take Manhattan where... They first they they book us like a very small theater, uh-huh. and then they they make their way to a larger theater, and then they get to Broadway. Yeah, I mean, and maybe then it'll be a better show. I don't know. Yeah, but um, I just it's 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 fascinating that so much of what you learn as a kid about what theater it now it's different now with the internet. Obviously, of course. you know any high school or middle school theater kid can go on to playbill.com or theater mania or Broadway world and they can read all of the dirty details and the and the harsh realities of the world. But in 1984 or in the 70s when I was growing up, I only knew about theater based on what I saw on TV and movies. Right. So I, you know, Tootsie and and Yankee Doodle Dandy and and uh, and and Muppets Take Manhattan and Fame and you know any any film uh, Goodbye Girl, any film that had anything to do with the theater world, you just think, well, that's gospel because why would they yeah. lie? And you're not thinking about, well, no, what's going to tell the better story? I didn't know these. Yeah, things, yeah, you know? movies lie to us. Well, even the Muppets. Yes. And you have to, I guess I have to remember that the Muppets aren't a documentary. True. But, but I find it, I find it, I think, I think that again, the the biggest issue I have, fine. Okay. Yes. No one's going to go up to a stage door and start auditioning your show and have that stage door slowly close on you. No, right. That is one of the things like we, we see various producers offices and then one of them actually appears to be a stage door very slowly slamming in their face that is so outside the realm of reality <laughs> of course even the producers that's another it's another uh great you know infamous audition scene you walked into the wrong theater you know lsd walks into the wrong theater and that's our hitler and like <laughs> just yes <laughs> it, it, it it's serving a narrative purpose for the movie it is not representing truth but to growing up in pittsburgh i don't know that and no one is telling me that right so anyway, but but I will say yes. Uh, Kermit's big flaw that he that he interestingly enough never realizes is that he didn't put in the work. Yeah, yeah, huh. that's a that's a really good point. I think that will probably inform the way that we watch some of the rest of this movie. 
Well, it just makes me sad too. I think so. Yeah. Because I thought, well, then you think, okay, so they're freshly graduated from college. What are they doing with this time? They're riding high on this big creative endeavor. And what are they going to do? Now, granted, yes, there are a lot of people who come straight from college and roll the dice on New York, but you're constantly trying to improve. You're, uh, they're, they're taking classes. Or, yes, exactly. Uh, or they're, I don't know, they're ad- even auditioning for other things. I think that's that's what's interesting. Yeah. Is, um, or playing a sidekick like Dr. Teeth. Right. Or, or even getting another job. Um, yes. Until they break up, nobody gets another job. Yeah, no, not that we know of. They, yeah, they just seem true. to be living in those right. bus lockers and going out to to pitch the show for, every day. Yeah, reading Variety in the park for three months yes. or four months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. anyway, sorry, oh, I'm going off I'll, way too much on that that tangent. No, that's that's why we that's why we had you on. That's great. Yes, Thank you. We want the Queen of Tangents. Get to Bruzo. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anthony, do you have something? Um, well, I was going to say about that shot where they're Fozzie's reading variety in the park and yeah. they're all huddled around. That's my favorite shot in this entire movie. Yeah. That's like that's like what I want the Muppets to be doing in real life, right? Like Yeah, well, we, like you know like like the like the the recent sitcom, the 2015 show. There was all this talk about oh, this is Muppets in real life. That's not Muppets in real life. Fozzie Bear reading variety on a park bench is Muppets <laughs> in real life. Right. You know, well, I was going to say I feel like there are a lot of really well composed group shots in this movie, and e- like even especially in this montage. Um, there's that Archie. one. There's the one where they're all uh, staring at the guy eating the sandwich in the yep. window of the diner. Yep. Which okay can can we talk about that guy for a second? Absolutely. Yeah. When I when I was a kid, I was certain that that was David Schramm, Roy from the TV show Wings. Really, I was <laughs> sure of it. And I still think it looks like him. And I emailed uh, Karen Falk to see oh. if it might be him. And she told me that she did that, that, that there's no evidence it is that like his so, wasn't on a call sheet or anything. So he's not credited that guy. He's not credited. There's no man with sandwich in the closing credits. Here's, here's what I do know because I looked it up today. David Schramm, Roy from wings was a working actor in New York at the time. Oh. was in a Broadway play from January through May of 1983. It was his most recent credit at the time. And so I, my headcanon is still that that's Roy from Wings for some it's reason. It's not impossible. But no, it's not. It's not impossible. Yeah, I could see and him. He passed like, away recently, so we can't ask him. But. Oh, too bad. But yeah, he's a Roy type. Yeah. Um, they, got, they got the same nose, I'm telling you. <laughs> could be. You never yeah. know. Strangers and then um, just a, a couple other specifics about the, the scene. Um, oh, the shot. I mean, the one where they're walking. I always think about like, wow, how they do that? Yes, yes. Um, some casual fans, I think, don't like seeing the Muppets feet for whatever reason, I guess, because we usually only see them from the waist up. So some people uh, think it's... Uh, this is interesting to me. How do they feel about full body shots? Um... I, I guess, well, see, usually then when I see comments like that on the internet, sometimes I will point out, like, what about, you know, in the Muppet movie, we see Kermit sitting on a log singing Rainbow Connection and we see right. his legs. Right. But I guess it's, maybe it's just when they're moving their legs. That might be it. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the the Muppet movie one people bring up is Kermit and Fozzie dancing at the El Sleazo. Right. Which I think rules. I think it looks great. But, like, yeah. you'll see people be like, oh, it's weird, Fozzie Bear with legs, or whatever, you know. Yeah, but then, like, when the teaser poster for the 2011 movie came out, people were weirded out by that, because that was full body, and it looked like they were walking 
toward us. Right. You know, so I guess I there's just. Yeah, I have my own little issues with full body Muppets. I mean, I think that some look better than others. Mm-hmm. And some of it depends on when the dimensions were. I, you, know, you look at Bert doing the pigeon. And you're like, oh, <laughs> legs really supposed to be that long. Uh, the longer the legs, the more trouble you're going to have actually making, giving them control. Interesting. And one of the puppets that looks really good full body, interestingly, and not necessarily sitting on a couch is, is Cookie because his legs are short. Mm-hmm. And Elmo's legs are short too. But I think sometimes what happens is you get a, if you get a puppet with a long head or a long torso, someone at some point along the line thinks that the rest of the body has to be proportional as if it was a human. Mm. And they don't look <laughs> like, for example, with uh, the great thing that David Rudman does with Spiffy Pictures, a lot of his characters, they might have a large body, but they're, if you're familiar with the animation style of UPA from the 50s, he's got mm-hmm. those short little legs and those big feet to support them. And the, the, the legs are not necessarily in proportion with the rest of the body, because, but it still works because it's not a human. Right. And, and as Muppets are not purely human characters, some are purely abstract. They may be human-esque. Some are animal and some are purely abstract right. kind of characters. Um, so... Some characters, I think Fozzie's legs are a little stumpier too, which which helps his belly can ground him. Mm-hmm. When you start getting into like Floyd, Janice, Zoot with those long skinny legs, even as a performer, they get so hard to control. Oh, I'm sure. And make sure. them look good. But now just the legs, I have a be- I have an easier time believing legs separated from body. Because I think that's a great effect. Or characters sitting in chair where you see feet. But when you're getting into the the full body dancing, it's a real thing. But it depends on the tool that you're given. Right. That's really interesting about the the proportions of the the characters. Because I feel like we see Elmo full body fairly often. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone say that they're weirded out by that. So maybe it's because his legs are just the right length that it's not too weird. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I don't think I remember. Well, maybe the original Elmo, once Kevin took him, you know, I don't know if the Elmo that was in uh, me lost me cookie, the trunk, you know, puppet that Richard threw at Kevin. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't know if that one had legs or whether legs were added to it later for when he eventually did his first Elmo's World, where he's sitting at the piano. Right, or, he wouldn't have necessarily or, needed or, legs at first. Yeah, or but or for Happy Tappen. I think that's the right, first right. time you see Elmo. Sure, that makes sense. And I'm trying to think of whose call that would have been for Elmo, because I think in oftentimes these decisions get made by illustrators. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, the time you saw some of the characters full body was in the books because they didn't right. have the blue screen technology in 1969. You know, Bert against the black background was the first full body representation that I can think of. Yeah, it wasn't that didn't happen very often because it took too much time to shoot, and they had to shoot so many inserts in such a short amount of time that they couldn't devote the hours that we devote now. To full body. Oh, of course, yeah. So, I'm wondering when you see illustrations of Elmo, I feel like his legs are longer and thinner 
than the puppets are. So hmm. whoever was the person who decided that the puppets legs and maybe, you know, Kevin very well might have had a say in that. Kevin was uh, pretty smart when it came to knowing what worked best for that kind of manipulation, especially if he had any inkling that Elmo would be seen full body a lot. Right. Having those legs be a little shorter um, and a little stubbier than you imagine them to be. If you look, and also they're very well articulated. Um, right. Most most puppet legs don't have knees built into them. Right, they're just kind of floppy. Yeah, there are there are definite joints in the ankles and the knee. I mean, it's 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 a dream if you wind up being on Elmo's feet because it's you can <laughs> do something with it as opposed to other characters. You don't always have that. I'm yeah. totally monopolizing this conversation. Please. No, no, it's no, fascinating. that's, that's great. Please. I'm, I'm so glad somebody came on this podcast and said, it's a dream when you're on Elmo's feet. Well, I don't <laughs> right? be on Elmo's feet very much, but yeah. a few times that I have, it's like, as opposed to other characters feet, you know? Well, yeah. Can, can, can I actually ask you a question about feet before we move on? Sure. Uh, so, so we're big helpsters fans in my house. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. My my kids both love it. Um, but the first time we see Cody in the opening credits, we see oh, her full body. Yeah, and that and, doesn't match the half body puppet very well. Well, but like, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but it's it's, true. it's funny you say that because like I always think of her as being a character who we see full body all the time because of the opening credits. Because of the opening credits, and you but it's pro- it's it's just that one time ever probably, right? Like No, there are a couple of the music videos. Uh you see her Have you seen all the episodes that are on Apple TV right now? Uh yeah, I've seen all of them at least once. <laughs> okay. There's a brief moment with marching band Marsha where they're all full oh, body. Sure. Um there are a couple of music videos where you see them I think at the end of uh, this the one with Cassie Ashton Cassie Ashton, sorry, um, where they're jumping up after the ice pops. Uh, that was full body. Oh, sure. um, oh, and then, you know, Cody had to be on a couch for the library and in a chair for Cody oh, gets a yeah. cold. But that's different. I mean, seeing the leg yeah. versus puppeteering full body in against blue screen. Um, but, yeah. So I, I guess my question, though, is, is like, it was that a headache to shoot the opening credits mm. with, the, with, with Cody's feet? Well, that... Like, be, the way we shot on the subway, um, yeah. Cody's legs are very long. Thankfully, she's got nice chunky boots, so that helps to have something to really land on. Um, shooting Cody going up the subway steps, we did that on the street, um, where they just then did the hard work of painting out the blue, the blue suits. Oh wow! And sure. we did that our fourth day of shooting, third day of shooting. It was really crazy um and i couldn't see the, the the scrim over the it was the first time wearing the hoods that uh that monkey boys had made so i couldn't see very well um i could just see what i could see you know sometimes you just you, you use the mouth to focus so you're you're just wearing like an all green suit yeah oh um the pieces you know you have the hood and the and the shirt okay and the everything and it was Ooh, it was the last week of March, so it was really cold. So all that's trying to, you know, be un- over our coats and blah. Um, yeah, so uh, Barnhart and Tim Legasse were on, uh, were assisting me 
but we were physically going up those stairs. And again, I, I couldn't see very well. I was in the head and then there's um, uh, the torso, you know, there's a little stick coming out of the torso that has sure. the controls for the, for the pigtails on that. What was that right? Yeah. Um, because the pigtail control is usually on the arm rod, but of course, and it's connected with a cable. Well, you can't use that can't on, do that on the because then the then the full well because then the cable you'd see the cable. There's nowhere to hide, mm. so then sure. that particular trigger winds up being on the little stick that comes out of the back, huh. so that you can control her torso. So typically, whenever uh. you see someone doing full body, the person, uh, for example, Ryan doing Elmo, Ryan's doing the head and the torso. In a very rare instance maybe the person doing the head might do the left hand and someone else doing the torso, but it is usually much better for the person in the head to have control over the torso as well. And then either someone is doing both hands from the back or one person's doing a right hand, one person's doing a left hand, and then someone's doing both feet. Uh, Mevo was the king of feet. I learned a lot about doing feet from Matt because Matt was on the, uh, the, the original Elmo's World team um, oh, sure. Yeah, back in starting back in '99, whenever mm. Elmo would, you know, Dorothy's thinking about Elmo doing this, and Dorothy's thinking about Elmo doing that. Those were always full body, and I think mm. Matt. I think that team was usually Matt and John Tartaglia, and Johnny K, and sometimes Peter Linz, uh, You know the guys. So, mm. uh, but Matt became. I learned a lot of tricks about feet from from Matt. And he's he's he he will demure at that credit. Peter's also very good at feet too. But I learned a lot. Uh, specifically, I learned a technique from Matt that I'm very grateful for. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, so so Cody so Cody full body. It's it's only because again the proportions of her legs. I don't think her legs needed to be that long. But that's this that's the design. The person who designed the puppets, the the, the initial puppet characters, her, her actual her. Originally, her arms were twice as long as they are. They were longer than Grover's. For the purposes of high fives and handshakes, I assume. No, <laughs> not even for that. They were just long because they looked fun. It was, it was, oh, okay. you know, it was because she's a very, um, she's an abstract looking character. Yeah. One of the things that adds to abstractness is, you know, uh, taking, taking a body proportion and taking it out of proportion. So having very long arms, you're going to have very long legs. And having very long legs, you're going to have very long arms. Um, and I remember when I was auditioning with Cody, there was a mock-up Cody. There wasn't even the, 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 pup, the real puppet, but there was a early version of it. And her arms were so long, like longer than Grover's. I, I know that for sure. Because when I extended the arm rod, as long as my arm would extend, her arm was still not taut. Oh, wow. I could not wow. get her arm taut. You would have needed much longer arm rods. And the longer the arm rod you have, the less control you have. Huh. Um, it's, that, that, that's an interesting thing for people to know about, about rods is we always say choke up. It's just like golf or baseball. <clears throat> Anything where you need to have more control over something, the, the more choked up you are on something, the more control you'll have. So the shorter the huh. arm rod, the more control. The longer the arm rod, it just... And also the weight of the arm rod matters as well. So the longer rods, you can't have them be so thick because then it just looks like this really big stick. Uh, right. Sure, and, it, yeah. and it's just very hard to manipulate. It's hard to do two at once. 
Um, and then the arms get tangled in each other. I mean, goodness knows I've had my, I've, I've doubled Grover enough to know that even Grover tangles. Um, so to have arms that are longer than Grover's, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. So that was the one thing I had, um, when, when I finally got the role and, and they were asking about, well, what, what would you like specifically with the puppets? I asked if her arms could be a little shorter, um, you know, maybe around Grover's length or a little shorter than Grover's. And eventually I think they realized, oh, you know what? If Cody's got to do stuff, it, it might start looking weird if her arms are too long. Sure. Um, so anyway, that's a really long answer to your question about the full body <laughs> Cody. But that, I think that's why, but I think it's a reason why her legs are that long. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. She has a little, her, her, her little tunic was a little short and, uh, um, maybe a little too short. I think it could have stood, uh, <laughs> we stood a little more length. We had to be very careful about whenever we had Cody full body, just making sure everything was covered. Um, <laughs> but, but, but no, she had a good design look, but yeah, the, the long, when you're doing long legs and they don't necessarily have, um, really good knees built into them or really good ankles built into them. And it's a new puppet. Yeah. There's some things about walking up that subway that I wish I could change, but hmm. I wish there were some things about jumping up on that table. And I had the best team I could possibly have, uh, jumping up on the desk. That was, uh, Barnhart and, and Laura McLean helping me with that. Again, I couldn't have asked for a better team. It's just, you only get so many takes and sure, you sure. Which, and you don't know which take the editor is going to take. That's the other thing. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we did one better, but I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. It's, it's always so cool to me that there's so many um, complexities to what you do that, that 99% of the audience is never going to think about at all. That's our job. Right. To make you not think about to make it look seamless. Right. And there were so many things, even when I was first, you know, setting out to do it, I never thought about needing to do some of the things I wound up doing. Oh, yeah. I never yeah. thought about that. But, you know, those are all, thankfully, I had a chance to learn and grow. And and it takes time. I mean, that's the other thing is learning how to do feet or doing full, assisting with full body is not uh, something you can always practice on your own. Yeah. Um, but that's why I'm always impressed by so when you're doing just feet, like the march, like the group shot and can't take no for an answer, you're usually, they must have built some sort of rig. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you how you think they did that, because I counted at least five pairs of feet. Yeah, they must have, because typically when, when we do it, we're bent over, literally bent over. Uh, the, the, the legs extend, there's armature wire coming out of the, the legs a little longer than where they would be. You want them... Even though you want, yes, you want to choke up on something, but if they're too short, then you just break your back bending over. So um, sometimes you have to lengthen those legs with extra armature wire to get them so you're not totally stooped. And then the puppeteer can't cast a shadow, so you have to watch yeah. where you're going and yeah. where huh. the puppeteer's feet are too. So my guess is that there must have been a platform where a bunch of them were laying down on it that was extended maybe on a dolly uh or something i mean hearing in muppet guys talking about the rig that they did for for caper when they're shimmying up the drain pipe i never knew how that shot was done that they built an elevator yeah i never knew anything i i remember i would watch that well into 
well into my career and thinking, how, how are they, what, yeah. have the camera on its side? And then, no, that's a real building. Those are dogs. How? Are, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that the notion of, and when you're doing a movie, you have a bigger budget. So if, if Frank said, we need to build this dolly, they could easily build. I'm, that had to be how how it was or or you know where you could get different levels of it that it wasn't just one plank where they were laying down on it but there were multiples so you could have some in front and then some like three layers of them this is hard yeah. to describe audibly but right of course but it must have been something where yeah there were puppeteers above uh that they could ride along rather than have to walk otherwise you'd see puppeteer feet right yeah right um, yeah yes. So I mean, many of those considerations. Yeah, it's it, we you know we find ourselves doing that on Sesame quite a bit, you know, with just legs and things like that, and walking along, and those are fun little shots. But that is the hardest thing is to to get your shadow. Or or uh, we were doing something just last season, you know, adding butterflies into something, and then coming in and coming out, and there was a jib shot, and and now again, when I was going down this path, never thinking about my, my shadow being cast on the ground. So now you have to think about, Oh, where, where my body is in relation to the camera, where my mm. body is in relation to the lights. So it doesn't cast a shadow. You're looking at sure. a, there are a million things to, to keep in mind when you're doing something like that. So that's my guess as to how, how they did it. Some sort of raised thing. I mean, look, they built a whole thing attached to the camera for Cody doing that shot. When she comes out of the subway saying, hi, I'm a helpster uh, attached to the camera. And it was on the dolly with the camera. I was laying down on it. Like it was, it was, it was a fun, I wish someone had pictures, but we were Uh, verboten. uh, Absolutely. Oh, is that right? Forbidden Mm -hmm. to take pictures of any kind. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully Mm -hmm. someone took like a reference shot. Cause I'd love to to see it. I'd love to see how ridiculous I looked, but anyway, (laughs) um, well, yeah, I I I, I got to tell you in my notes I put Muppet legs walking. Hopefully Stephanie can enlighten us. <laughs> so you you and absolutely you did. did. So I thank hope you. That did. But see, I think that that's fun. I think that that's huh. fun to see the just the legs because and yeah. that, I think that's a fun way you really know a character if you can if you can guess who a character is from their feet. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like I can I think. Um, like I can pick out Gonzo's feet yeah. next to Kermit's. And then actually I'm, I think it's Scooter behind him. So mm-hmm. yeah, j- just the fact that you can tell. It's yeah. it's a fun thing that I'm sure that when some of those puppets were initially, I'm sure that the first Miss Piggy, you know, the very first Miss Piggy um, didn't have feet. Right. And I'm sure that maybe either, you know, Bonnie Erickson or maybe even Barbara Davis, you know, had thoughts about what kind of shoe Mm-hmm. Piggy would wear, would you know, whether she wore right. sort of hosiery. Um, the fact that the shoes were purple to match the gloves, I just I love that. Um, it's those details. The fact that 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 Gonzo, you know, you know Gonzo's shoes from and Scooter's wearing what saddle shoes? No, Scooter's wearing sneakers. Gonzo's wearing saddle shoes. I right. think Gonzo is the saddle shoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry about that. And then uh, <laughs> you're, you're forgiven. but just most characters i mean maybe now it's different but i'm pretty sure that when the muppet show started i I don't know whether that was a thought that 
we need to make these <laughs> we need to make these legs identifiable. No, probably right, not. Right, probably not. I'd be surprised if they were. And it, it's fun to be able to then know at a glance who these characters are without seeing yeah. their faces. That says a lot for the integrity of the characters and the and the strength of the design too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so um, as we mentioned, they, the the calendar pages continue falling until it's September 4th. Um, we see the song conclude with Zoot doing this mournful little uh, saxophone solo at the end of the song. Yeah. Um, do we have any other notes about the song before we uh, get to this th- the last very few seconds of <laughs> yeah. these two minutes? Um, I should have done us. I should have done a bigger study of how the lockers had gotten more decorated. Oh yeah. Um, they became little homes. I know that's yeah. Well, they were there for several months. You know. Yeah, like, you can see the iHeart New York souvenirs and the, yes. the, I think Scooter has the, the, the Jets uh, bumper sticker. Um. Oh, I didn't notice that. Someone has a New York Jets bumper sticker in there. I feel like it was Scooter, but that sounds like likely. Scooter because because I I can imagine him being like I am a sports fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, like well, and the thing is, any sports logo, you know, you have to clear with the with the league and the team. So I'm trying to think mm. if there were if there were Mets or Yankees in there. I just remember seeing New York Jets. Um, yeah, I see it now. I don't see any other. Maybe they could only afford one logo. Or maybe right. that was the condition is that we'll give you the New York Jets license if you have no other logos. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, we're going to see a Giants too, yeah. logo in there. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. And with, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I love that there's the I Heart New York uh, logo because that campaign was only a few years old. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And of course, then it makes sense that you have uh, Mayor Koch later on in the movie as well. I mean, that's. I think I, I enjoy the um, the fact that the the characters embrace New York and uh, you know want to make it their home and have made sure. it their home, um, so that they're you know half tourist, half want to be half want to be New Yorkers. Oh yeah, right. They're really trying to be real New Yorkers. They don't really talk about New York though. That's that I that's a fat you know that's a interesting you know because there are things that are different about New York. They're not not on the subway because it would probably be too much of a pain to shoot them on a subway or to create, you know. Yeah, I don't think they could have shot on the real subway. Well, they have, you know, they have those trains at the transit museum. Right. That they could have used. Um, Hmm. Well, and whatever train they used in Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, sure. That would have been cool. Yeah. uh, Clearly, it's been done. But I think um, also... You know, at that time, it, the city was very different, and who knows what the permits were like. And right. New, New York yeah. uh, movies made in New York in the early '80s. There, there are a few of them, and they're very, um, they're very specifically New York. They have a very specific vibe to them. I love that era. Uh, Arthur, Tootsie, uh, Brewster's Millions. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, even, even yeah, and, and you think this movie is of the comedy. same sort of vibe it's yeah. starting, yeah. Well, it's starting and, to bridge I, into later 80s stuff you know I, yeah well, a, a, a while ago um on a previous episode i mentioned the lonely guy with steve martin i love that which, movie so much which is another but like oh. now you saying that makes me realize that that's why it reminds me of is because they're both so like yeah. hey it's new york it's the 80s yeah, you know? yeah. it's a similar time I mean, he's, he, he's like running guy. around on the 
59th Street Bridge and stuff in that. Yeah, isn't Lonely Guy like 83? 83, yeah. It's very similar. Oh, God, Charles mm-hmm. Bowden in that movie. He's so funny. I was telling I Ryan, he's never seen no, it. No, I haven't seen it, but no, I'll have to put it on my list. Plants, but don't call them plants. Call them guys. <laughs> someone watch the game with. Yeah, I'm going to have dinner. A tuna sandwich. Yeah. Oh, God, it's such a good movie. <laughs> so good. Sorry. I, I will put it on my list. It, it's um, very good. Very underrated. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, so, so then we just have a few seconds um, left in the clip, which is uh, presumably the next day, I guess. Uh, the Muppets are out pounding the pavement again, but now they're very sad. They're bemoaning their failure. And what um, do you see in the background of that shot? Right behind them is a guy doing a puppet show. He's selling these puppets that squeak. And one yes. of them is green and it looks like kind of a froggish sort of thing. And the I other so. is yellow and it has a beak. Oh, yeah. Wow. So hmm. I'm guessing it's supposed to represent Kermit and Big Bird. but So those You're are, it's right. a, so it's a young Matt Vogel. But that's hilarious. No, uh, young Matt Vogel. It's, it's Matt Vogel's grandfather. <laughs> it's Matt Vogel's grandfather, right? Yeah, that's very that's very astute. Who yeah. knew? No, yeah, you're right. It does look like that's funny. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how we would find out who this guy is, or you know, if he was like a professional puppeteer or just some New York no. guy. Does he look but, like he's a puppeteer? No, he's just like squeak, 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 squeak. And what's so. funny is that I'm sure. Well. Obviously, those squeaks were added in post. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I love that Frank made the choice that those puppets were going to have the little squeaker in the mouth right. to make noise. Like, that's, yeah. that, that's a statement that well, I... Well, actually, the first time I was watching the clip, I was kind of like, wait, what is that sound? And then I realized, oh, it's the puppets in the background. We didn't notice the puppets for a long time. Because you have to keep in mind, I, I didn't see the... I don't... I don't think i saw the movie in the theater so i was seeing it on like crappy vhs mm-hmm. for a really long time sure, yeah I think it wasn't until they did the digital uh version you know the nice digital releases that right craig might have been the one to point it out to me like you see those puppets because you know it's that muddy new york background and yeah the, the color was not um you know, it had degenerated on the VHS copies and it just had not been well taken care of. So that extra with the puppets sort of blended into the background. Plus you're looking at Muppets. They're in the foreground. Yes, of course. Right, that's right. Where your, your eye is drawn. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't so think it was something that was supposed to be this front and center thing. I think it was just a little touch. And a I, funny little yeah. background detail. I'll always wonder, you know, was it Frank's idea? Was it Jim's idea? Was it Richard Hunt's idea? You know, like, I, I don't know whose idea was this to have this little vendor. Or maybe there was someone. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. There may have been someone on a corner selling those. Puppets. Well, that's what I mean. Like, maybe he was just a, a New York uh, mm-hmm. toy vendor who was they just Character, happened to come yeah. across. Yeah, who yeah. knows? I mean, you you hear the the the, uh, the story that the Sesame Martians, the Yip Yip Martians were originally um chenille hats that i think carolee wilcox had found on the new york you know that the street vendors huh. were selling yeah if i knew that story i had forgotten it but that is somewhere yeah somewhere that story is officially in print but that wow. the story that i had heard that those started out as hats that that i think huh. had <laughs> yeah i can see that yeah well those are the kinds of things that you see on the street vendors right. all sorts of 
crazy stuff. It wasn't all just pashminas and and knockoff bags. It it and, it, and vegetable peelers. And ah, uh, see, we have one of those vegetable peelers yeah. from the guy. That, this is, that's getting kind of very maybe too New York centric, but there was it is a guy for many years who would just peel vegetables in uh, Union Square and sell the vegetable peelers. Well, they did a thing about him on uh, I think CBS Sunday Morning like a while ago. Oh yeah, yeah. So. He was oh. he was presented on the national stage at some point in time. Yeah, um, and that's that's what he did for a living. So and he sold a we, bunch of them. He put it oh yeah in college. Yeah. So we can only assume that this guy with the squeaking puppets—that's what he did for his whole uh, his whole career. I mean, if it's you just watch, like that, yeah. If you watch shows like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that you know when you when you know there used to be so much more manufacturing in the city. There used to be these novel mm. companies in the city. Um, places that would sell the novelties wholesale to the vendors on the street, um, manufacturing them in the city. That's that used to be the heartbeat. That used to be the originality of the city. Right. Um, why people would come here to find things and to do things that you couldn't do anywhere else. And you know the the sadness of the fact that there are so many even long before the pandemic so many chains you know so many banks and Dwayne reeds that's uh, the complaint yeah it is and yeah. now it's all capital one and yeah. yeah and and now you know who knows what's going to happen post uh, post pandemic um whenever that may be what will happen to the city what will happen to retail will it continue to be more chains, you know, what's happening with rents and, and, uh, and real estate is, um, it's, it's, it's been a big question mark for the last couple of decades. So I like mm. those memories of, oh, well, yeah, the city might've been dangerous and dirty, but man, it was quirky. That's true. Yeah. And sure. That, yeah. This is, <laughs> this is from a, from a, a much different era. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, 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 and it's easy to romanticize that time too. I mean, the city was in real trouble. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, you the the crime rate was also much much higher. So. We watch, uh, you know, we find ourselves now um, having these quarantine rituals of what we watch at certain times of day. And at six p.m. <laughs> on Antenna TV, uh, you got Barney Miller back to back episodes, and you know, you talk about awesome. a representation of New York City in the in the late seventies, early eighties, and they're pretty they're pretty true to what I mean because they were living it. Well, yeah, that's a show that wasn't afraid to show it looking like grimy, right? Although it's it's fascinating to me that you say that because they never go outside on that show. No, like, uh, I guess not. We, we we only ever see the precinct. Like, they have very few swing sets. In fact, I've I've often said, and I've wanted to write something about this. Um, so many of those scripts, if you just change the names, you can put it on a stage. Those are written like stage. Oh, for sure. Especially for sure. later yeah. seasons where you have the characters, you have multiple groups of characters in the precinct. And it's almost like there's a fade out, fade in. If if it was a stage yeah. play, this light would go down on this these two characters talking, and this light would go up on these two characters talking, and instead it's just a camera cut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great thing for playwrights who are writing short plays to 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 look at as far as that. Um, and it's interesting to watch it in the wake of the um, of the of the protests that are happening now because. They touched on some of the things uh, in the first season. Uh, Gregory Sierra's character Chano, who was only there, I think, for a season and a half or two seasons. At the end of the first season, there's a he kills a, a bank robber, hmm. and he's traumatized by it. 
he can't. And that's a sitcom. And that's a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the performance that Gregory Sierra gives is, is, is absolutely stunning. Um, because it's, he's, he's, it's not just as simple as him showing regret. He's really trying to keep it together and say, well, this is what we do. And, and he's losing his mind and he's depressed and he's upset and it does not resolve. Hmm. It's just the next episode is the next episode, which is totally different. And, um, sure. And you, and you look at that in the context of some of the things that are happening now and you think, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe this is the wrong place to speak about that, but I, I will say that it's 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 interesting to see one of the things that people are talking about is the representation of police on television and how that right. has influenced um, people's biases over the years. And um, uh, Barney Miller is an interesting show to look at from a you know from the distance of of, of what's going on now through the lens of they did. They 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 went to territories that a lot of other sitcoms weren't going to, and yes, like many other sitcoms of the era, they stumbled, or they were ham fisted, or maybe did something that you wouldn't have wanted them to do. As did many. Um, but is it worth to touch on a subject in a ham fisted way, or is it worse to ignore a subject? And that's you know that's that's a that's a question for TV historians. Um, but it, I always think it's it, it's interesting to at least. Again, like I said before, and this actually does tie in, um, we learn about life, that we are of a generation that learns about life through television, that learns about life through pop culture. And if you don't know anything about what it's like to be a cop, you might be learning that from watching Law & Order. You might be learning that from watching NYPD Blue. Um, And that's where the responsibilities of networks and, and writers and showrunners and creators. Um, it's going to be very important to recognize the responsibility. And um, I think now people are finally looking at it, you know, for so long people, well, it's just a show. It's just entertainment. What, what could this possibly be? Yeah. A, a lot of my very visceral memories and, and, and things that I learned about things that I never would have learned about in suburban Pittsburgh, came from people who created art sure yeah, yeah of course because you're you're just constantly being fed that mm-hmm. every day yeah yeah and it for the for the better and the worse i mean so many so many things that i accepted as being just fine came from watching shows you know seeing i didn't grow up in an integrated neighborhood but sesame street was an integrated neighborhood and how wonderful was that what's wrong well that's a great example of yeah how it can be used for good yeah absolutely um you know norman lear shows that were on i mean i was watching all in the family and the jeffersons probably before i should have been (laughs) before i was old enough to appreciate them but there was something about recognizing the humanity i saw nothing wrong with a mixed race marriage seeing mm-hmm. Tom and Helen Willis at the age of what eight nine that was pretty important without me realizing that it was important for me to see the normalcy of it and the love in the absolutely ship and how well represented it sure. was. there were you know there was nothing wrong with that and if that had been in a different era where um there weren't three networks uh showing it you know maybe in the 90s the jeffersons might have not aired on a network it might have been on bet and maybe we didn't even have cable when i was in high school and college so maybe i wouldn't have seen it 
Um, so anyway, I think that, yeah, what now granted, you know, again, <laughs> art is not necessarily a documentary. Um, and it doesn't always have to be. No, but it is interesting how much you absorb from these movies, whether you've seen them 20 times or 40 times or once. Uh, they, if you don't know better, if you don't have anyone telling you that's not the way life is, you're, why would you assume that these filmmakers are telling you, and you don't necessarily know the difference between the poetic license or the dramaturgical license of stretching the truth to tell a story or to fit a montage. Yeah. So you think, oh, that's, that's what it is. And that's not to fault the movie. It's not to fault the shows. It's I think it's more a realization of a mindfulness of some of the things that you do. Um, little things that we don't even, you know, the microaggressions that people have yeah, been talking yeah. about for, for a long time now. And yeah, um, yeah just just the 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 little it, it the devil is in the details sometimes. And again, I have <laughs> You know, Muppets Take Manhattan is a is a fun <laughs> movie and many many people's favorite uh, Muppet movie, um, mm-hmm. and but you know on at, at on one level you're going to appreciate a film differently at the age of ten than you do as you as you get older. You're gonna you're gonna find things along the way. Right. Um, you're gonna find things that you like more. You're gonna find things that still creep you out giant piggy on roller skates sure (laughs) and you're going to find things that you're like why didn't i appreciate this more when i was a kid how lucky were oh my god gregory Hines. god i love (laughs) that he's in that movie um just some great some great moments and you know little little jabs at the advertising culture and yeah and i don't think it's i don't think this is a movie that has ambitions to capture a, a very like, like a a broad portrait of what New York City was in 1984. No. But it is a kind of a fun snapshot I guess of a, a very specific perspective on it maybe. Yeah, it what I also find interesting is that the city to so many people, the 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 dream of New York and Broadway is and it's interesting because I think you really only see that in this montage in these two minutes is the whole, the lights of Broadway. Right. A lot of it is focused on that, like moving to New York to try to hit a big. Yeah. You don't see them coming. You don't see that shot of the city appearing over the bridge like so many other arrivals into New York kinds of films. Well, there's mm-hmm. actually a fake out of that. So it's kind of playing with that. A little bit. Yeah. But it's not that you know, holy cow. Um, there's more of it in Muppet movie getting to Hollywood than there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Big in, this, time. in this one. And True. New York. Well, and even in the, in the great Muppet caper too, with, yeah. you know, going past the, the, the English river. And, right. Oh yeah. And both of that. those movies have uh, scenes where they drive past landmarks and this one yeah. doesn't. Well, and even the, uh, the concept, the, the you, seeing the empire state building doesn't really happen until Kermit has his monologue. Um, but just seeing the marquee lights, you never, do you see Times Square in the, the whole movie? I don't remember if you even do like the, no, you don't know. You don't get a good look Times at it. Square shot 
yeah. every other movie about New York that mm, features yeah. New York. As, it, well, <laughs> I mean, Manhattan's in the title for crying out loud. Yes. And any other sort of 42nd Street kind of, yeah, kid, yeah, we're going to take the city by storm. Like, there's a, right. there's a shot of Times Square or Columbus Circle or some, you know, just the, you know, Statue of Liberty. There's, there's nothing on the ferry. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, again, it's possible that I guess this isn't a movie about New York. I guess this is about a very specific story they wanted to tell. And also, I think that's what it is. Well, and, you know, look, Muppet movies are always going to be more expensive than than movies with without Muppets in them. Yeah. nature yeah. so the money that would have been spent on some of those shots got spent on muppets i mean I, yeah I, i'm sure I, it wouldn't I, have been practical to have like piggy sticking her head out of the crown of the statue of liberty or, or it would have been much more expensive and, and even that i mean a gimmicky shot like that seems a little uh, macy's thanksgiving day parade <laughs> thing yeah for sure but, but um just even just seeing times square at that now granted <laughs> Hmm. Maybe they couldn't because there were so many porn theaters. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot dirtier. Get a lot of good shots where you didn't see that. There's a great. I think Laurent Lynn took it. I want to say the Macy's Parade, like in '95. I know I was on the float that year. It must have been '96 or so, where there were still, like, it was before the new Victory opened. So. The new Victory opening, the new Victory Theater opening in New York was the beginning of the new Times Square. Um, the new Victory is on 42nd? Yeah, the new Victory Theater. The, yeah. the uh, That was the first real big theater renovation and revitalization of Times okay. Square as we know it today. Right. Um, it was before the new Amsterdam was was renovated. Um, it was before, you know, the porn houses were, were all moved out of there. And there's a picture of... Yeah, there's a picture of the Sesame Float coming down Broadway. And there's a picture of Elmo right in front of a triple X theater. Wow. You know, right ah. near right near I think the where the Palace Theater, there's that whole block between 47th and 49th Street and Broadway. And I think those used to be old old uh old movie theaters and uh Yeah. Yeah, and it's still <laughs> I don't remember what Yeah, I do think there. this this movie chooses to to look at New York through through the New York of the time through rose colored glasses. Well, you're maybe. definitely. I mean, you're near the Plaza Hotel and you know Bergdorf, yeah. where you know Piggy's working the cosmetics counter, and yeah. you're in Central Park. And I'm. I mean, it seems like Pete's was probably on the Upper West Side, hmm. um, ish. Um, you know, Kermit's in in, in Midtown. He's probably on. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's uh, the 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 fairy tale of New York and Broadway. Like, but the lights of Broadway. I, I, it's it's just interesting that the only sort of Broadway marquee type. This is the dream of Broadway. Happens mm. in maybe one or two shots in the montage. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, it's it's not a 
fault or a flaw. It's just an observation. I'm not going to, I'm not here to, I'm not no, it's just interesting over the coals. Goodness knows. <laughs> because his, his cinematic choices in so many movies, I just, I, I love Little Shop and I love Dirty oh, yeah. Scoundrels and Bowfinger and What About Bob? And he just makes so many excellent, excellent choices. Yes. I think that there may have been limitations. If you're going to get that shot of animal coming out of the the manhole or Kermit getting thrown out of Sardis, that's going to come at a cost, right, time and right. money. So maybe sure. that's why. But yeah, but it is, it is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I learned a lot of falsehoods from watching this movie. <laughs> Broadway's the only theater in New York. Uh, yeah. What are you going to do? So. Yeah, so um, the the clip ends with Gonzo saying, maybe we could... S-, and then that's where the clip ends. So we're going to have to wait until next week to find out what they could maybe do. So everyone should happen? tune back in for that. Um, those are the only notes I have about these minutes, but I'll see if either of you have any um, other thoughts. Oh, Stephanie, starting with I you. I only have one other thought. So when you yeah. see Ronnie Crawford for the first time. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yes, I had that and I skipped right over that. Well, we took, one of the, took, the, the producer's part. offices. We that talked was, about it. Well, that was my fault too. No, we didn't talk about the specifics of it though. Because a secretary opens the door and she takes the script and she shakes her head. And I'm wondering if Art Carney had been, his deal had been closed yet. Yeah, that's a good question. Probably I not. Yeah. yeah. I don't huh. know. Why would a secretary have... The power. I mean, I'm assuming it's a secretary. I don't know. She is a woman. She's an older well, woman. I, I think, don't know. I I think it would be weird if the rest of these producers are like no names, and then all of a sudden one of them is Oscar winner Art Carney, TV's Ed Norton. Y- you know, true. like it would be yeah, it would be distracting if we saw him. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no. But um, but the fact that she shakes her head. Right, right. Like she's making the decisions. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's Ronnie Crawford's mom. It could, I don't think it could be Mrs. Crawford. It could be. Maybe you know that's a you know it could, it could be many things. It could be. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Uh, could be a, an actress that, that that Bernie Crawford had taken up with long ago. Bless you. And uh, she comes around every once in a while to help file and <laughs> talk be. about the old days. And I don't know. But, it, but yes, we yeah. do we do briefly glimpse um, young uh, Ronnie Crawford, who seems intrigued by this this band of uh, of Muppets doing their their musical who number. Wouldn't be, of course. I mean, <laughs> it is rather. I don't think it's something that you see every day. No, definitely not. Right. But now, but yes, oh. we will see him again. But what I what I really wonder is. Um, if he really wanted to do something different, like then going back to the whole renting out a black box thing, maybe young Ronnie's dream of doing something different, you know, is seeing these, these creatures doing this out there, breaking the fourth wall stuff. It's certainly. Yeah. Unusual. Interactive, immersive theater experience of the early eighties. I don't know. What are your yeah. thoughts, Jen? Especially when you have animal and Gonzo and Camilla. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. Quite a cast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Anthony, the, did you have, yeah. The only thing I was going to say is the producers that we see, I love that there's a guy smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper. Yeah. Yes. And right. also, also a guy shaving, of course. Right. Would I want to see those two guys. I want to <laughs> see those two guys team up for a sitcom. 
Would you want the guy who's shaving in his office to produce your show? No. Like, how desperate would you have to be to be like, yeah, I'm shaving at my desk because I don't have a sink. Show with the highest of quality, I'm sure. (laughs) No, I wouldn't trust him. Oh, the other, um, when we were talking about the, the group shots, one thing I meant to mention, um, there's also a shot where we see Gonzo getting tossed out of an office and then he lands on a pile of Muppets. Yes. That's a cool shot. And I can only assume that the puppeteers were, you know, all jumbled together as the characters are. And also, Camilla has her eyes closed in that shot, which is kind oh, of weird. strange to see. Yeah. Well, which I, means yes, I think that when they're open and they're laying down, it might look a little dead. I guess I'm so. Yeah. Not sure. Sure. I'm not 100 percent sure that there were hands in all of those puppets. Oh, maybe not. Yeah. Right. Probably not. Because yeah. I don't think they're moving. Yeah. Well, but yeah, Piggy doesn't seem to move at all until okay. just a little tiny bit, and I'm wondering, like. I don't think the way the puppets were, if there were arms inside all of them. Right. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it again. You're, you're probably right. Um, Dr. Teeth is obviously, he's, he sings a line. So there's, right. he has a puppeteer. Scooter is moving. Ralph is moving. But yeah, the, uh, some of the others are just, Hello. they do look kind of dead. Yeah. So I think so. if Camilla's eyes were open and she was laying on the ground like that, it might look a little um, overdosey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they had to make eyelids for Camilla. Yeah, I assume. You don't, so you that's don't. fun. Yeah, um, and I actually did. I had one other thing that I just uh, uh, saw in my notes, which is I like the gag where um, they're looking up. It's they're they're kind of walking through the streets and they're looking up at various signs. There's a no loitering, right. no trespassing, and then just as we see Ralph, there's a sign that says no dogs allowed. Yeah, which is you know it's it's kind of sad for him, but it's it's a it's good timing. It's very cute. Yeah. And I'm sure that's how a lot of people feel when they come to New York to try to make it. And they feel like a dog surrounded by no dogs allowed signs. Poor Rolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor Rolf. But um, yeah. So I think... He looks very sweet at that moment when he's just looking around and you have the no dogs allowed. And like, yeah. Yes. Okay. And then you, yeah. and then now, not then, but now I just think <laughs> it would have been a perfect time for you know, I used to work here on the Jimmy Dean show. You know, I used to be in the <laughs> 60s, right? You know, that I used would have been to know great. people, right? And used to know Smith and Hemian, right? <laughs> but he doesn't. I, he doesn't I would love to card. see that as like an outtake or a deleted scene. Yeah, he doesn't even play his showbiz card. No. Yeah, that would have been No, great. I know Jimmy Dean, right? No. But, but then everyone would be like, the sausage guy? Well, you know, he was in that James Bond movie, you know, right? He was in that one <laughs> movie. He was pretty good. Hmm. <laughs> Which one? That wasn't. That was one of the '60s Bond movies, right? Yeah, maybe early '70s. See, this is the moment yeah, I know things, and Craig knows more than I do. He's in. He's in. He's in Diamonds Are Forever. Thank you. Which okay, which really? I know. Which I yeah, he's good in it. Which I know because that's also the one where the bad guys uh, threaten uh, like a bomb silo in North Dakota, which is my home state. Oh, nice. And and like watching that movie, it's like, oh, this is how people from New York feel all the time. <laughs> you know because like that's the only movie where north dakota is threatened you learn things from movies exactly there you go yes yeah. proving your point yeah. once again yeah um all right so uh stephanie we like to ask our guests um 
What is your, you talked about this a little bit already, your history with the movie. You said you don't think you saw it in the theater, but, and then also, um, how would you rank this alongside the other Muppet movies? I mean, I, of the first three, it's the third for me. Um, I love Caper. If anybody uh, heard the We Got This podcast from a few years ago that we did live at the museum, I am very proud that I swung the entire panel towards deciding that Great Muppet Caper. I was so happy to hear that. And yes, everyone should seek that out. I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, also. good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had a good time um, with that. It's just such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful movie. It's so beautifully shot. I hate that that's Jim's only feature directing credit, but if you're only going to have one, man, have it be that one. It's Well, he, he directed The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Well, okay, that's true. That's true. But of the actual Muppets. Oh, you mean like Muppet movies? Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, I mean, well, he co-directed Dark Crystal, so, but yes, I always forget about Labyrinth because I forget about Labyrinth. <laughs> sure, fair enough. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I guess Jim never, I always feel that Jim never got his due as a director. Um, yeah. When he, when he passed away, it was, cre- it, well, not even as a performer, it was creator of the Muppets, but as an yeah. individual performer, as an individual director, there wasn't really that sense of, I don't think the DGA uh, recognized his work um, posthumously. Um, hmm. No, no, no. I mean, you know, it happens. Well, uh, it's interesting that the year before, well, obviously, we nobody knew, but the year before he passed away, he won an Emmy for directing the Dog City right. episode of the Jim Henson Hour. Yeah. But I think that's kind of it, which is also beautiful. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, no, his his directing eye was fantastic. It's just not something that people pointed to as a loss in the industry when he passed yeah. away. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, Caper is just every. Every musical number has its own challenges. And I remember saying in the in the podcast that stepping out with a star seems when you're just watching it as a passive viewer, it seems like the easiest song. It actually, I think, was the hardest one to do. Mm. And I said, <laughs> puppets putting on pants is one of the harder right. things that you can achieve. And all the things are like Kermit being on a drill and Kermit doing the shadow dancing and the backwards shot. And the, just, there's so many things in such a small space and using the mirror and it's such a simple song and people think it's shot simply. And then you break it down shot to shot. There are a lot of shots in that. Oh yeah. Thing, especially considering how short it is. Um, you know, everyone thinks they look at the water ballet as being the most complicated. And yes, I think it was complicated for its own reasons, but there were fewer characters in it. You had one puppet underwater. Exactly. Um, and same with the um, first time it happens. You had fewer puppets on the floor. Mm-hmm. The first time it happens is so beautiful for so many reasons. Yeah, um, that was that was our first dance at my wedding. I've oh, said that on the podcast before. It's glorious. Now, now I will I will say this. I, I love Muppets Take Manhattan enough that yes, I I, I did walk down the aisle to uh you'll make me happy. Oh it's beautiful, exactly. So, Same. <laughs> yeah, so because who wouldn't? Because who wouldn't? Um yep. and, and Muppet movie is is obviously very special because I did see that in a theater at a birthday party and um yeah, that was very I have visceral memories of seeing Miss Piggy's eyes in the fight fighting off uh, the bad guys and when they changed her eyes and made them angry i just that is one of those moments that stays with you forever my little, <laughs> my little inside out forever moment um 
paper is just it's 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 so strong it's such a strong it's 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 a great um movie musical period not movie musical with muppets just every great trope and then the actors i mean again groden i I, you can't go wrong when you have charles groden in a movie you just can't and they're just so committed to it and it's um it's just really lovely in every way. And and it looks good. The, the the thing about Muppet Movie, and again, I mentioned this in the in the, the We Got This podcast, that because it was such an experiment, it, it really wasn't very good film stock. It's such a bad yeah, film stock. Yeah, it looks kind of grainy. That, and... You know, it was just the film stock that they... Yeah. And they were really able to then, once the Muppet Movie was so successful and the Muppet Show was so successful, I mean... Every cent of that budget for Great Muppet Caper is on the screen. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure, glorious. And and to be able to again find out about the elevator they built for the Mallory Gallery shimmying up the drain pipe, just it just the the technology and the and the innovation behind it in ways yeah. that you don't even realize are there. And that's when technology works so well is when you don't realize technology is being implemented. It just right, you know, right. like why wouldn't those characters be able to shimmy up the drain pipe? But then as a as a performer, like how how does that happen? Like, <laughs> right. You can't wrap your head around it. Yeah, well, and then we discovered that they for the the hot air balloon shot, they mm. did that with two helicopters. The yeah. puppeteers were using remote control, uh, you know, I guess Waldo's mm-hmm. in one helicopter, and the the cameraman was in the other helicopter or something like that. It was then in some shots they were, you know, yeah. Uh, Craig has some footage because CBS Sunday morning had done a thing. Right. And so there's some behind the scenes footage of them shooting that hot air balloon sequence. And the thing with animal eating the MGM frame, that was not a post effect. That was a live effect. The camera yeah. was there. Right, which is wild. There. It totally is wild. Cause those things would be done digitally now. And yeah. the fact that those were, yeah. that was in camera is just wonderful to see that and what it yeah. took to just to, to what it took to to accomplish that and the script is so good patchett and tarsus are great writers mm-hmm. and and they used them well in this movie i think mm-hmm. uh, yeah well and then they wrote this one too it, right um wait so wait was it patchett and tarsus on caper then or is it yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. They, they, but very jewel with them but Jerry Jewell was heavily involved as well. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not all outside writers get the characters. And, That's very uh, true. And Patrick yeah. Persis, I think, with their history is it, working in sitcoms, is really pleasantly surprising to see how well they got the characters. I think so, yeah. I mean, again, with the exception of, of, of Kermit not putting in the work. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but 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 and then I'm going to go back to saying that one of the things that makes Kermit great is how imperfect he is. And I think that yeah. it's boring if Kermit always did the right thing. So boring. Yeah. And and you run that risk with the straight man. You run that risk with the person who's supposed to hold it all together. You run the risk of becoming either too much the voice of reason or too much the it, it, and I'm this is not really a comparison but it's 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 something I had to overcome with Cody uh doing helpsters when you're when you're supposed to be the driver of the action and the center of things it's very easy to come off as being lecturing 
you know, mm. come on guys, or just being no fun. Sure. Um, it would be way more fun if Scatter got to do whatever he wanted and Mr. Prim got to do whatever they wanted and Hart got to do whatever they wanted. But Cody has to, you know, eyes on the prize all the time. And it's very similar position with Kermit. Only when you're a girl, there's the added, oh, well, you can't come off as being bossy and you can't. Come uh, off sure. As being yeah. Yeah. So that means you got to be good. And what does that mean? Um, and I really work hard to make her not fit in, fall into any of those pitfalls. Kermit, um, very much the same. I think the best characters are flawed. So maybe Kermit not putting in the work, you know, if you want to get really meta and, and put the levels in there, you know, maybe it was best for Kermit not to, uh, not to put in the work, but. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there was a more interesting way to do it, though. I don't know. Yeah, I guess the con, with the exception of the first ten minutes of Ishtar, showing people writing is not always <laughs> the best um, entertainment. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, that's a very good comparison. I would love to. I would love a parallel universe where <laughs> you had Kermit workshopping an idea the way Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty did in Ishtar. Yeah, a very fun bit of. I'm sure that Matt and Eric now would probably do an amazing riff on that. I can. I mean, yeah, with other characters like like Kermit's trying to write, and other characters come in and keep interrupting him. That would be a lot of fun, and I know the guys now would have a blast with that. It could just be a whole movie of that Kermit typewriter gif from right. one of the one of the play along <laughs> videos. I think. No, that's. Right. Uh, I think it's from Little Muppet Monsters. Little actually. Muppet Monsters. Okay. <laughs> yes. Whenever I look at it, I think it's from. Uh, I think it's from Jim Henson Hour, but it's not. But it seems like it should be. Sure. Yeah. 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 Seems yeah. like it would be because he was always like, "Oh no, no, okay. Well, what, whatever." <laughs> the whole thing with Vicky saying, uh, "I saw you when my whole kindergarten class used to watch you on the Muppet Show." Oh, well, yeah. that's all. We don't have to talk about that right now. Like, that's <laughs> the kind of Kermit that I really, I enjoy. There's so many reasons why I wish Jim Henson had not died in 1990, but one of them was to see where that Kermit was going. Sure, I yeah. kind of liked where Kermit was in the Jim Henson hour. Because yeah. He was a character who had <laughs> who had reached these heights and was in danger of becoming a corporate symbol. And I remember, I remember wanting to pitch something along those lines, and it was not met with great enthusiasm of uh-huh. being afraid of being portrayed as like what happened to Mickey Mouse. You know, Mickey Mouse used to be a character, and he yeah. became a corporate symbol. And you can you can imagine a world where Kermit was aware of that. Yeah, I would love to sure, see a yeah. meta take on that where Kermit. Yeah, where Kermit realizes that he's becoming homogenized. I mean, I often, I think the beauty of The Muppet Show is that the Muppets knew they were putting on a show, but they didn't know they were as successful as they were. In The Muppet Show, they weren't successful. Outside of The Muppet Show, they were successful. Right, it wouldn't be funny if they knew how successful they really were. So in, in the Jim Henson hour, where you have Kermit trying to like, and 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 what's nice is they sort of maintained the whole oh the ratings are down mm-hmm. no oh this is broken. which they were <laughs> yeah, this is broken Kermit is still put upon which I I love that they were able to maintain that but Kermit feels a little older Kermit feels a little more like that whole run yeah. with Vicky was very 
I love that they went to that place where you've got this young person. And I'm sure you were hearing my generation. I mean, the Jim Henson Hour was on when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, you were getting that generation of kids who were now working in television saying, I loved watching (laughs) you on Sesame Street when I was a baby. And Jim and Frank and the gang going, oh, oh, crap. Oh, what? (laughs) And that they that they that they did it with with Kermit is great, and I I kind of love that. Oh yeah 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 you yeah, know not right now. Uh, we don't have to talk about that. That's a that's a good color on Kermit. I yeah, you're that right. color yeah. on him. So that's I great. always wonder what would have happened if uh, if if Jim had uh, had been able to maintain that, or whether that would have just been limited to the show. I I don't know. Yeah yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess we don't really get that so much in the Muppets at Walt Disney World, which was the next major thing. No, and you wouldn't have. And you wouldn't have gotten right. that in the attraction as well. But oh, yeah, you no. Did get Although, yeah, in fact... The press around Muppets Take Manhattan and, yeah. and in the later things. I've seen some fun interviews with Jim and Kermit. Yeah, right. our, on, on Arsenio promoting uh, M- yeah. Muppets at Walt Disney World, I guess. Kermit's mm, yeah. super jaded in that. He's it's great. Yeah. There's a great interview, and I That's forget which see. one it was. It's was it Wogan? Was it the British one? And it was right. It was it was during the the Muppet uh, Muppets Take Manhattan junket. And he's saying to Kermit, you know, so you married Miss Piggy in the? No, I did not. You know, Kermit <laughs> saying, no. If you were an actor, and you did a movie with Elizabeth Taylor, and you married Elizabeth Taylor in the movie, would I say you were married? No. I yeah. you were married and it's just such a great attitude from kermit like i'm so tired of hearing about this fatigued kermit and, yeah. and i think that that's what i wish the movie had been a little of instead of the like you know instead of him blowing up at the characters which he's going to do not long after these minutes that we um yes if not next week then the week after right. in our our clips right yes. uh instead of that kind of it would just be the the gradual fatigue <laughs> of being right. worn down by the city it yeah. ends when there's i mean the only reason you know they're starving is the great roy from wings sandwich shot which i will continue <laughs> to call <laughs> yeah uh, we talked about this a little bit in an episode um, which has not been released yet where we talked about the Fantastic Miss Piggy show. Ah. But I have to assume that some of that stuff in the interviews comes from like the actual frustrations of Jim and Frank. Mm. Like when they're asked about, you know, oh, so Kermit, what's your relationship with the Miss Piggy? Where mm-hmm. they do start to let out their real frustration, I guess. Absolutely. Some of it. Like, okay, I wish you would stop talking about this. Well, there are only so many ways you can answer that question. Yeah, exactly. And so many interesting ways. And you run out of those interesting ways and you start repeating yourself. And that's no fun to repeat yourself or to have the characters repeat themselves. Right, yeah. But there is something about fatigue that I enjoy very, very much. Yeah. Not just the explosion. I think that it's what People think that, uh, you know, and people enjoy when Prairie loses, blows her top too. But I'd love to see more of the what's in between the being in charge and losing your top. And one of the moments that I love, Fran, in, uh, I don't remember whether it's Elmo Palooza or the Elmo's World when we're doing the Gift of the Magi pageant. I'm 
getting a migraine. Oh, yeah. Like those are the moments. Those yes. are the moments yeah. of joy. It I, I think I think that it. is in the in in the Elmer's World Happy Holidays. Yeah, because I, I that's why because I was doubling Zoe for that. Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. Awesome. She was at the piano. She was at the actual piano, and I was on the stage doubling. Yeah, I must have been doubling Zoe. Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, look, it's 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 lovely to. I mean, how? What I love about moments like that, it's the relatability. You know, it's the whole great Christmas pageant ever. Kids mm-hmm. can relate to being in those pageants, those kinds oh, yeah. of pageants, and so to see characters that you know have to play a shepherd. I mean, the whole Charlie Brown Christmas thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Playing a shepherd and you're playing the innkeeper and you're playing Joseph and that's a thing. And so no, I, sure. I, I enjoy whenever, whenever the characters can be as relatable as possible. And that way. Right. I like what you said about seeing the in between, because I think that's what it is. Like we want to see the nuances of Kermit. We don't want to see just Kermit. We don't need to see him angry and bitter all the time, right. but we also don't want him just to be positive and everybody follow your dreams right. all the time. And we I mean, the, the moments of like, I am Kermit the Frog and I want my Kermit the Frog t-shirt or I, yes. you know, those moments are genuinely funny because you don't, That's oh, you're fired, piggy, you're fired. Yeah, those are great blow your top moments, but they're sparingly used. And yes. sometimes I want, and I often wonder, um, you know, Prairie really started uh, doing that with the singing in the rain um, insert. I don't mm. think that had been visited before. I think that was that moment of Prairie losing her top. And I'm wondering whether that was originally written for Kermit. I have also wondered that. Yeah. So, so, cause it's Prairie Dawn directing yeah. Grover yeah. and singing in the rain. Yeah. And I wonder if that was the follow up to Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. That, that would make sense. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it works really oh, well with Prairie. Well, see, so. Prairie is very similar to Kermit and Bert, actually, in many ways. They're mm. very type A and a little neurotic and want things to be done right. Kermit well, wants things to be done right, and Bert wants things to be done just so. But Prairie and Bert and Kermit, those names are never mentioned in the same breath. Right. Although I think on um, Elmo's Not Too Late show, you're, you're playing Kermit on that. I, I mean, Prairie. Well, only like, in the pilot. Uh, I, you know, I was in the control room just for the just for the pilot episode, but um, then they had Bert do it later. Um, oh, well, there you go. But but yeah, yeah. Um, but I've, yeah. I've always wondered. I don't think Prairie's interacted with Bert very much, and I always hmm. wonder whether that would be too similar uh, or not. I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know what that would be like. It's funny because they did all those letter of the day segments with Prairie and Cookie Monster. Well, and Prairie and Cookie are a good foil because Prairie wants things just so and Cookie doesn't care how things are done. So that's right, right. It's look, it's Laurel and Hardy, it's Abbott and Costello. It's it's that, you know, right. you know, chaos and order uh together. That that, that it might be interesting to see Prairie and Bert both trying to control a situation. In different ways. Right, and have their own take on it. And yeah. I think that the the misconception, unfortunately, with Prairie is, you know, she's bossy or she likes to take charge or she she's funny when she loses it. And I try to say, no, she's just, she's not, she's not doing this because she wants to get her way. She's doing this because she wants things done right. right. Wants, she's Martha Stewart. She's, she's got a plan. <laughs> like, and when things, and, and things are chaotic on, in the Muppet world on Sesame Street. And so, yes, 
it, it, it's a great recipe for her losing her mind, but it's always a little better when it's not quite losing your mind. It's just, oh, I have so much to do. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I have to. Okay. You know, and she's to like <laughs> ramp herself up as much as she's ramping everybody else up. But yeah, those are nuances that nine minute stories don't often give you time for. And I yeah. understand it is not the Prairie Dawn show. And Prairie Dawn is for <laughs> a different age of of viewers that we do not necessarily um not the word is not cater to, but are most concerned about. Mm. Uh, so some of these things will just wind up being in my head forever. And that's fine. That's a fun way to imagine what a character would do. And that's when, you know, you have a strong characters. Oh yeah. You know, when you can fan fiction, a character, it's a good character. You, you could anonymously write Prairie Dawn fanfic and just put it out on the internet Wouldn't somewhere. That'd be the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Let me write fanfiction about my dead character. She's not Aww. dead, but she's not around. And that's okay. I, she's not around enough. I, I appreciate sure. that. I, I, I only care because I don't want to tell Fran that I blew it for her. <laughs> Oh, oh, no, no. Fran, I killed your character. No, the, the, the show, again, we do nine minute street stories. There are, there's a, there's a concentration on a smaller group of characters. And, you know, the needs of the show are more important than any single character. So I get it. Yeah. If a character like Prairie doesn't, doesn't always fit in the narrative and the of the story they're trying to tell, then, then I'm not, I'm not going to fight that. There are people who are way more, uh, wizened and educated and, and more knowledgeable of what the show needs than, than a, than a little, little puppeteer like me. I just miss the character. I like, I like getting to play, uh, a character that I've enjoyed for so long. It's just selfish yeah. on my part. And you can't, <laughs> you can't make decisions about things like that because of one puppeteer's selfishness. That's just not the Sesame way. Sure. Right. Well, there are, there are many Prairie Dawn fans out there who would like to see more of I her. appreciate that. I appreciate mm-hmm. sure. that. Someday, who knows? We have no idea what the world is going to present to us anyway. Man, isn't that true? I really wanted to do something when uh, the pandemic first started and Laura Bonanti was doing her sunshine songs. You know, all the kids in schools that were having their musicals canceled, um, that they could put up songs, sunshine songs online. I don't know whether you had heard about that. And I thought, well, Prairie, she would definitely be participating in that. But yeah. it's not, you know, it's not our audience. It, it, you have to be so well, careful. In the early days of the quarantine, it was just, it was so tempting to just get any content out there. And I think Sesame was really smart right. about, no, no, we have to do this right. And the same thing with Helpsters Help You. It, it just had to be, it had to be done very specifically and sure. done right in order to be impactful in any way. Me, I just would have liked that no, just sense. play around in front of a camera at home in front of my green screen. It's that sounds great. Yeah, but we can't. <laughs> these are these are not my characters. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if if um that is all we have, then we will wrap up for this week. Uh, listeners, make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, and all those other places. Um, you can also uh, let us know what you think about this episode, these minutes, this movie. 
uh, by uh, dropping by those places or emailing us at uh, moving right along at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You cannot find Anthony on Twitter. And Stephanie, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, well, I'm, I'm at DeBruzzo Tweets on Twitter. And uh, we got the Helpsters on the Apple uh, TV. We got the Helpsters Help You also on Apple TV. Um, if you haven't listened to Matt Vogel's Below the Frame podcast, it's a very nice podcast. And I, yes. I, I was lucky enough to to be his guest on the uh, inaugural episode. Um, many great episodes are out there. They're a lot of fun. We we're realizing it's a really nice oral history. Um, it's it's not necessarily puppeteers talking about it, it's it's puppeteers telling their stories, but you're also learning a little bit about puppetry in general and 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 what it takes to do what we do. But also learning that that everyone who comes to work in this medium has a different story as to how we got yeah. there. So it's been fascinating for me to hear other people's uh, episodes and learn things about my friends that I didn't know before. So oh yeah. It's been, yeah. Been fun. So uh, that's out there. But as far as uh, I have no pet projects right now, sorry. All right. Well, but everyone should check out all those other things. Thanks. Um, yeah. And, and uh, what was that? Well, and just le- like I mentioned, furious cosigns for helpsters, which if, 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 yes. if you have preschoolers, like check it out, man. It's great. My kids love it. My wife and I love watching it. Yeah, I, I actually think that it's um I think that the target age is six and seven and maybe even eight. We have some great guest stars on Helpsters um that aim a little above preschool too, but I'm glad to know that the preschoolers like it. But yeah. we, we well, got my... away with some stuff. That's fun. Yeah. Well, uh hmm. the one where Ashley Park is playing uh, a woman who's trying to um get a good night's sleep. Yeah. My daughter has seen that episode so many times. And that was directed <laughs> by Matt Vogel. Oh, is that right? Awesome. Yeah. Um, but that one is a particular delight. But they're all fun. Um, yeah, I think people should check it out. Yes, watch Helpsters. Thank you for the endorsement. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And listeners, if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can give us a review and tell all your friends about the show and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye. Goodbye.